Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Well, Dan, I had a blind date this last weekend and uh, <clears throat> took her out to a restaurant and got a little bit late. And she said that uh, she needed her beauty sleep, and I suggested a coma, and that pretty much ended that. And I don't know how women, like, they they, they hit where the bruises don't show, but, you know, I'm still recovering. Jeez. You, you are a terrible man, Benny. Terrible. <laughs> You know, we always uh, how many times does it does it seem we say it, Benny, that the word legend is used far too often. But today we have kind of an interesting story because we have a legend, not just in the wrestling business, but also a legend among legends. When you talk about training, when you talk about names that have come through and people that look up to them. Benny, why don't you tell everybody who we got online with us? So I'm going to go off the script and do a, a football reference instead of a baseball reference, Dan. So remember Cordell Stewart of the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yes. And they called him Slash because he was the, I guess, halfback slash wide receiver slash quarterback slash uh, full charge bookkeeper, whatever else he was. And uh, this gentleman outslashes Slash because in the, in the world of wrestling, he's been a wrestler, an announcer, a promoter a trainer, and even a writer. So we are absolutely delighted to have Mr. Les Thatcher on uh, Dan and Benny in the Ring. Les, welcome. Uh, thanks, guys. I have never thought about being uh, slash anything, but that's cool. <laughs> that's a great reference. Actually, you forgot a couple things, but that's okay. We'll get to those We'll, we'll get to it. Uh, you know, I, I make a joke. I, when people say you, uh, you've done everything, I said I've done everything but get rich, and it's a little late for that now. It's too late to start, I'm afraid. So, but yeah, uh, George George South says if he were to, you know, who I'm talking about, George okay. South. Of course. Okay, cool. Uh, George says if he were to start a promotion again, he would hire the Armstrong brother uh, family just to be his baby faces. And he had 12 jobs that he would hire me for to do all 12 of these particular jobs. So and he meant that as a compliment, I know. But I've, I've, I guess I've had 12 jobs in the business. I've just never done them all at the same time. So. It was either Slash or the wearing more hats than a haberdasher. So I went the Slash route. <laughs> okay. That's I, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm the only time that. hat on a hat is a good thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Les, again, thank you so much for being here. We we always get started kind of the our default first question because it's so interesting to hear everybody's perspectives on it. So it's kind of a two parter. It's um, when would you say the wrestling bug bit you? Uh, kind of to become a fan, and do you remember where you were when you realized went from fan into I'm going to make this a career. I know Benny mentioned, uh, he pointed me in the direction of some interviews where you had said you were watching TV at a friend's house um, and then kind of went to the YMCA. I was hoping you could expand on that. Sure. Well, I actually, yes, uh, we didn't have a TV in our home at this particular time. And we had been invited over to a neighbor's to watch. It was a 10 inch black and white screen. Um, and uh, we were invited over there to watch TV. And it was Friday night and wrestling was on. 
and I'd never seen. I hadn't even professional. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'd seen some uh, movie like uh, Gorgeous George was in Alias the Champ, which was a movie made in like 1947 or 48, something like that. But I, no, I had never considered wrestling. But I was fascinated by this, you know, by watching these guys. And it just, uh, I don't know, I got hooked. My mom and dad became fans, but realized back then, uh, professional wrestling, boxing, roller derby were big staples on television because, uh, you know, you got these little mobile cameras you can carry around the palm of your hand now, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Back then, you had 300-pound things on rollers and and tripods. So uh, wrestling being in a condensed area like boxing or like a roller derby was easier to get used. And we could see uh, wrestling was on Cincinnati, from Cincinnati on television. It was also on from Dayton, Ohio on television. But we also got Marigold Garden in Chicago, St. Nicholas Arena in New York, uh, Hollywood Legion Stadium in Los Angeles, Texas-style wrestling on kinescope on a tape. Uh, that was that was a weekly staple for a, a couple of years. So almost either liked wrestling or you sure didn't see a lot of television. No, serious. But I fell in love with it. Yeah, I did. And we started going to the matches uh, here in, or in Cincinnati, uh, you know, originally. And... Uh, my childhood, I, I mean, there's a lot of great guys at the point at that, you know, that I got to see. And the great thing was years later, got to work with some of them. But my childhood idol would still be my childhood idol today. 62 years after being in the business that long, which was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Just one of the greats of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Just, uh, an amazing worker. And uh, it was just, you know, you, you see this guy walk the aisle and you knew he was something special. He just came across that way. So, yeah, and, and yeah, there was no high school wrestling. The uh, public high schools in Cincinnati did not have uh, wrestling on their athletic programs. And I had uh, started at the YMCA's at age 12. Um, but professional wrestling, really, uh, what I, I, I think I was probably, probably 14 or 15 when I really started thinking about this as something seriously uh, to consider. And the other thing is, well, <laughs> was drag racing. Uh, I drove my first race car when I was 15 years old. I was I didn't have a license to drive on the street, but I was I was driving a race car at age 15, <laughs> and and went and raced uh, into my wrestling career up until uh, 66. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was realized it was a closed shop back then. So when I really started thinking about this and really wanted to do it, it was, where do I get my foot in the door? Uh, you ask your, you know, ask a fan, ask a referee, uh, you know, well, this, you know, kid, it's, uh, you, you need more experiences. Al Haft was one of the biggest promoters in the industry back then. He was based in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, which is just outside of Columbus. And at age 18, I drove up there and uh, knocked, you know, went inside and said, I, I'd like to learn to be a professional wrestler. I was probably 100 and, I don't know, 75 pounds at the time. But I was a job, you know, played baseball, football, basketball, 
plus, you know, the, the wrestling at the Wise. And so a guy named Frankie Taliber, who I'd seen on TV, but I didn't realize he was a booker. I didn't even know what a booker was, came out to talk to me. And of course, you know, you need to be a bigger kid and you need some experience. Well, I don't know where do I get this experience. And then I saw in Wrestling Review magazine a story about Tony Santos, a promoter in Boston who was taking aspiring young athletes who thought they might like a career in professional wrestling and training them. And he could go there and be trained uh, for six months for $300. So I wrote him a letter, realized you young guys, there was no no internet, no uh, cell phones, you wrote letters. So anyway, I, I wrote, you know, I sent a letter with inquiring and they sent, uh, they sent me back a trifold. Uh, in fact, which I still have today, by the way, you know, to explaining what the school was about and the whole nine yards. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in February, 1960, I climbed on a Greyhound bus in Cincinnati and went to Boston, Massachusetts and started my training in February uh, I had my first match July the 4th, 1960. I just celebrated this past July the 4th, 62 years in the industry. Wow. And, uh, and then the, and I was, you know, I've been following my dream ever since, I guess, you know, Less, but for, for the younger folks, I'm going to say something because, you know, it sounds like 300 bucks, you know, what's 300 bucks, but $319.60 Actually, it's three thousand twenty twenty-two dollars. So you had some skin invested in the game. I mean, you, you know, you were committing to six months of your life, and you know, the equivalent of three thousand bucks. So it was it was a, definitely an investment on your part. Yes. Yeah, and physically and mentally too, because uh, it was still a closed shop. When, when I when I do seminars or, or camps today, and we have a Q and A session, you know, and or I mention this like like now with talking to you guys. I started my training February 1960, and my first match July the 4th, 1960. And I'll ask the young guy, and when do you think they smartened me up to the business? Uh, July the 4th, 1960. I was about to say, the, 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 day, the day you got in the ring. On his yes. way to the ring, I believe, or on, on his uh, way to the match. No, not quite, but um, well, but see, they, I mean, truthfully, the first couple of weeks, they had me my ass. Because they weren't even going to, you know, attempt to train me if I wasn't going to stick, you know. So they were either going to drive me away or, or, or I was crazy enough to hang around. And I was crazy enough to hang around. But, yeah, well, and, and actually that day, July the 4th, 1960, uh, Mr. Santos, is, uh, one of his, his younger sons, came across uh, the rooming house where I lived was uh, across the street from where the gym was at the time. And he came over and said, my dad wants to see you. And my first thought was, oh, I'm in trouble, right? It's 4th of July. What's the dad want to see me? What I do today? You know, what have I done that I'm being called on the carpet? So anyway, I, you know, I went over into the office and uh, Mr. Santos said, you know, sit down. He said, uh, well, I think today's your day, Les. You're going to have your first match. Send you to Blue Hills, Maine. And so I, I know you got your gear. I had my, you know, had... Uh, one of the lady wrestlers that made me a couple jackets, which I st still hang on to. I'm a sentimental old Irishman. But anyway, uh, so he said, go pack your bag and come on back and we'll talk. And so I did and came back and he said, you know how you were, uh, the, 
Now, here's the way they taught us to work. Now, they had they would get in and, and wrestle with us, or they have us wrestling each other. I mean, like, you know, really tr- trying. But then the way they taught us to be workers without telling us it was a work, where they say, well, hey, Les, you and Charlie uh, have a match. But since nobody, you're not getting paid, and we're not going to have a winner or a loser, put the holes on, but don't apply any pressure, which... The, today the kids are stiffer than than Harley Race for Christ's sake. But anyway, uh, they uh, you know that's the way they taught us to work. So anyway, I get my gear, I come back, I sit down, and Mr. Santos says, you know, he's still you know remember how you worked out in the ring by not applying for. He said that's what we'll get, you know. And still they're telling me we're going to get that's going to get me through today, but they haven't said this is going to be the rest of your life in wrestling, right? So and then. The three other guys on the card that day, I, that's the rest of my education was between Boston and Blue Hills, Maine, because we were wrestling at the 4th of July celebration, had a ring set up in the middle of a uh, racetrack at the fairgrounds in Blue Hills. And uh, Ronnie, Cowboy Ronnie Hill, who was a tough old shooter who I'd worked out with at, at the gym, I, he was my first match. We were on first. The other baby face in the card, Joe Sasso, who had played football at Boston College, uh, was against Bull Montana, who I'd bought tickets to see as a kid, and who was a, t- a mean-looking sucker, and also, you know, but he was a heel. So they had the second match, and then Joe and I came back against Ronnie and Bull in the main event, and that was my uh, introduction to being a professional wrestler. Very Did nice. I bore you guys to death? Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not. So, Les, I, I actually use a website called WrestlingData.com. I do a lot of writing for Pro Wrestling Stories website, and I use it. And I know it's not complete, but uh, I did some checking as far as your early days. And if I have this right, uh, I, I show you wrestling in Stampede, Western States, Florida, Georgia, Central States, WWA, and mid-Atlantic, and I'm sure I'm missing one or two, before you actually settled down in Tennessee. Did you have, besides Tennessee, because you stayed there for a long time, Do you did you have a particular favorite territory in terms of maybe like payoffs uh, or as, you know, as far as uh, ease well, of uh, it, travel? You know, probably uh, Charlotte and right here, I'm living in Knoxville now. For I don't know if we've mentioned that to anyone who's listening, but uh, these two territories are probably... I probably had, I don't know, more success or just happened to be in the right place at the right time and did more creative things than I did in any other territories. But, uh, you know, back then it was a learning. It was like when you change territories, you uh, it was like going to another college. You know, the style was a little different. You're working with different heels if you're a baby face. So you're going to learn some, other, some more things. But once, uh, well, in Boston, you know, it was uh, this as Tony Santo, actually Dusty started there nine years after I did. Uh, Luke Graham started there a year after me. Uh, uh, Bobby Harmon, who was the original Beautiful, Beautiful Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. Yes, he started there. Uh, I think Rufus R. Jones started there too. Wow. But anyway, uh, so yeah, from there, uh, I worked for Barnett out of uh, in the Indianapolis, Barnett Doyle out of the Indianapolis office. That's where the name Thatcher came from. Uh, my real last name is Irish, Malady, M-A-L-A-D-Y. Uh, 
And of course, in Boston, uh, Mr. Sant is as a big Irish population, or the whole area does. So he didn't want me to change my name. But a lot of people mispronounce. I've they everybody butchers it, Malady, Malady, you know, whatever. Uh, but anyway, so when I started for Barnett, Jim got uh, upset when the announcers couldn't pronounce it properly. And uh, so finally, I guess I'd been with him maybe maybe two months at the time. And, and Les Ruffin, who was an ex-old wrestler was, uh, working in the office, came in and said, the old man's tired of hearing uh, all these announcers butcher your last name. He wants to change it. He wants to call you Les Thatcher. Is that okay? And hell, I was t- I was getting my break. <laughs> I call me whatever you want. Just let me wrestle. So I said, "Yeah, sure, that's fine." So I've been Les Thatcher ever since. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there and from there, I uh, was in Calgary that summer, and of course uh, came back and worked. Uh, you know, the, well when the Sheik and when they broke up, when Barnett went to Australia, I worked for the Bruiser and Snyder out of the Indianapolis. Also worked for the Sheik as well. Uh, as did several of the local, well, Kurt, Roger Kirby, you guys, uh, you mentioned, Benny, when you sent me the deal that about the cousins. Roger and Dennis are both Indiana boys. That's where we first met and hooked up. Uh, but, yeah, so you wanted to get as many territories to work with as many different people as you could and to get your name out there, you know. Your first time around these places, well, like you mentioned, Calgary, uh, Kansas City Territory, Charlotte, uh you know, I had to have references. You know, somebody had to speak up for me to get my foot in the door. But, uh, yeah, as many territories as you could work in. And uh, I worked uh, worked the Phoenix Territory in 66. Uh, I'm trying, uh, the Maritimes. Worked the Maritimes. Uh, that's where I first did my uh, first television work was in the Maritimes in 1970 for Rudy Kay. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I skipped some territories. <laughs> Just you know, I everyone says you know you need to go to Portland. They use a lot of cruiserweights. I just never got to Portland for some reason. But the truth was, after I came after I came south, and Kirby and Hall and I started the cousins thing in Atlanta in '66, and we and established that I could work Georgia, Tampa, Pensacola, Nashville. Charlotte, those territories, and you're in a X section that doesn't have a lot of heavy snow in the winter, so show, a lot of shows don't get canceled, and they're short moves from one main city to the next. Why do you go anyplace else? You know, that was for me. I mean, I had opportunities to work other places. It's just, you know, uh, after I got, you know, settled into that, and I, I think I mentioned earlier, between Knoxville and Charlotte, gosh, I don't know, probably nine, probably nine years collectively of the tw- of the twenty that I wrestled was was in these two territories. So, you know, it was and it was convenient, like I say. Out, out of curiosity, what was the worst one travel wise? Oh uh, wow! Well, can- probably Kansas City might have been. Uh, you know, there were some long hauls out of Kansas City. Um, well, they like uh, they had loaned us out to Minneapolis for a couple days, and uh, you know, but yeah, that that was. Now, 
I skipped Oklahoma because of the trips. <laughs> I had a couple opportunities. I was, you know, the door was open there. So would you, we'd like, you know, be happy if, you know, happy to have you if you'd like to come in. But I always found, I mean, I never just burned the bridge there, but those guys were leaving their, their apartments on Monday and not getting back to their apartments again until Friday or Saturday and then gone again. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, be honest with you, the traveling was the worst part. I mean, I loved, you know, I loved the ring. I loved work. Uh, you know, I, it was, it was a great time. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't change anything because people who say that are lying anyway, we'd all change something. But, uh, truthfully, I, I love, you know, I've said you know, at this point, I'll be 82 in October. Um, I can still go to I still go to the gym five days a week, uh, if, you know, but if something else doesn't interfere with that, uh, my health is good. But if the good Lord decides He'd like to have me tomorrow, I'm good. I've lived enough life for three people, and I've been you know been living my dream for 62 years. What more can I ask? I don't know. I can respect that. I, I'm curious. I want to kind of side off topic for a second i was speaking the other day a friend of the show he's he's active on the page we've he's had him on the show before as a guy by the name of matt granahan he asked um he we were talking and the, the us you being on the show came up and he trained under billy wicks everybody called him pops oh sure i know and, Bill. and New yeah, Billy. He, sure. I, I i told matt as a favor i would ask if you have any uh kind of a shout out story or any interactions because uh, Billy Wicks is another one in your style who's just legendary for, for the catch and the grappling and being a legitimate tough guy. I was wondering if you had any Billy Wicks stories or good ones. You know, we never met. Billy and I never met until he was re- – well, we, neither one of us were wrestling any longer, but uh, I, I knew the legend. He, uh, I met him – I have a lot of in-laws around Maggie Valley, North Carolina, right? And so I met Billy, he was living there. And so I met, that's where I first met Billy. I didn't even know he was there. And someone had told him, I guess, that my brother and I were going to the uh, uh, armory there to uh, do some cardio stuff. And and, uh, Billy showed up. But uh, when Billy was in the nursing home, uh, a year or so before he passed away, Every time I was over in in Maggie to visit uh, in-laws, I went down to the nursing home and sat with him. And, you know, we talked about the old days and him and Sputnik drawing big, big money in Memphis. And, you know, he was on the police department, the sheriff's department there. He's a detective as well. And, uh, yeah, you know what? You you mentioned this. And and if I'd had a sense, I'd have taken a tape recorder and tape some of the stories, but yeah, he was, Billy's a hell of a guy, hell of a guy. And yes, uh, we'd sit there and, and, uh, and talk, I, I, you know, and yes, he, you know, he was legitimately a, a tough son of a gun. I mean, I, I, you know, I could say his career was over before I ever got around uh, Tennessee, but, uh, yeah, the stories were there. And uh, but just a sweetheart of a guy, I sure and I miss him, I, I truly do. Les, I became a fan in 1968, and 
one of my earliest memories is, you know, buying a wrestling review. I was 13, I think, at the time. And one of the first articles I read was about the, the wrestling cousins, which was you, Dennis Hall, and I believe Roger Kirby. And right. So, and right. Now you mentioned that you started in 66 in Atlanta. So that was like at least two years. How long, how long of a run did you guys have? And did you mostly wrestle in tags, uh, six man or, uh, well, we were doing, we were kind of doing what the Freebirds did only we did it before them and nobody made a big deal out of it. (laughs) That's all. You invented the Freebird. It should have been the cousins rule. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we came up with the idea Kirby and and Hall were in, in Atlanta in 66. I had been in Phoenix, Arizona. And like I say, we became friends working out of the Indianapolis and Detroit offices for Sheik and, and, and Bruiser and, and Barnett. And so we, we just, we worked against each other sometimes, but we traveled together when we could. And so we remained, remained friends. Right. So, uh, when I got back to Cincy from the, uh, Phoenix run, uh, I had written those guys a letter, uh, and, you know, uh, told them I was home and I was looking, you know, so my phone rings one day. And it's Kirby, and he said, we're in the Atlanta office with Leo Garibaldi, uh, who was the booker at that time, and may I say, probably one of the greatest bookers ever, period, end of story. Uh, And he said, uh, I'm going to put him on the phone. And I said, okay. And so Leo got on the phone and said, they tell me you're you're a good worker, are you? And I said, well, I hope so. And he said, would you like to come in and work, work Atlanta? And I said, well, yeah, I sure would. And so we worked out a starting date. And uh, so Dennis was getting ready to, to go uh, to go down to Tampa for a while. So uh, when uh, he hooked uh, Kurt, somebody, somebody made mention that we were cousins because we were from the same region, I guess, that Kirby and I were cousins. And it got printed in the program. And so we got to talking about it. And, and when Dennis found out that I was there, he came up and, uh, I took a, a couple of days off and came up and we were talking and said, why don't we do this cousin thing? So that was how it came about. And, uh, we did it in, the uh, mobile ter- And then over, uh, this is when Lee Fields owned the Louisiana territory. And we worked, uh, we worked some big deals over there with the Daltons, which is, uh, Donnie Fargo, and Frank Dalton, and there was a third Dalton, uh, Johnny Long from Tennessee, was Bob Dalton. So Kirby and I went in and got into the uh, NWA U.S. Tag Title uh, Championship run and worked program with Jack, uh, with Jack and, and Frank Dalton. And then when Hall came in after Christmas, we worked, did the six man thing there, then went down to Mobile, and. Uh, so, you know, we worked it all around. One of the things that, that kind of short-circuited it was when uh, they came to me in the Mobile Territory, uh, Eddie Graham and, and Lester Welsh, and said, you're the NWA Rookie of the Year, and we want you in Tampa. So, anyway, that was what happened there. But then Kirby came into Tampa, and then the three of us went to Charlotte. And at that point, George Becker didn't see any – he didn't particularly want to do the uh, the three way thing, and so uh, which it worked out for us anyway because Kirby and Hall worked uh, as a team, and I got to be uh, I did a lot of six mans with George Becker and Johnny Weaver, which was the number one babyface team, and they were, at the time 
there was like five heel teams that had managers. So a lot of six mans were going to come up and it was a big territory. So it worked out for all of us, but those guys were, they're both gone now. And that was, they, I, I'll say it now. They were brother, my brothers by other mothers. They, I mean, we lived, we, you know, we roomed together, we partied together, we traveled together. Uh, we were family, you know, and, uh, you know, I I tease about Kirby and uh, Nelson Royal was my tag team partner as well, and I say you know uh, Kirby and 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 uh, Nelly were both uh, NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champions, and I said you know I I train guys to be the Junior Heavyweight Champions. They work tags with me, and then I send them off to be champions. Of course, that's my trying to be funny, but but you know that's the other thing you know. Uh, in terms of being good at something, when you work with great people, it's tough to be bad. It really is. And and I, you know, uh, to learn the wrestling business when I did, I thought it was, uh, it was just the right time. Because to me, the 60s and the 70s were the golden eras. I mean, so many great workers, and I'm putting my fingers up, you guys can't see it, and doing quotations because there are not a lot of great workers today. In fact, there's not a lot of workers today. Yeah. There's a lot of acrobats true. and entertainers, but not a lot of workers. But anyway, yeah, there were so many great workers back then. And uh, it was just a great time to, you know, I, I feel blessed that, that, you know, that I grew up in the era that I did. I truly do. You. You said there's not a lot of great workers today. You telling me I can't go dig up an old Les Thatcher match where you kick out of 25 finishers in the same match? I don't think so. If you can dig up an old Les Thatcher match that's doing anything, I'll buy the damn thing from you. <laughs> I uh, all of, all that I had on tape of myself burned up in a fire that I my apartment right here in Knoxville, as a matter of fact, uh, in 1982 burned up. Mm. I was running tours for Georgia up in Ohio, Michigan, and West Virginia, and wasn't even home. And, and it wiped out, you know, clean, uh, a total total loss. And the only films I had on myself were in that fire. And I know I've had people say, well, I'll, I can find some. I said, okay, go for it. I can't, so I don't know, you know, where, where some might be. It's no big deal. But... Uh, Sorry to hear that. You know, it's and I also want to apologize to any listeners out there who just had kayfabe shattered for them that the cousins weren't actually cousins. That's always I always love those kind of reveals, don't you, Benny? Oh, absolutely. Well, Les, I want to. Most, would, would most of the listeners out there know what kayfabe meant anyway? <laughs> well, I think it's safe to say Benny and I have a, a little older audience than than some of the wrestling shows out there today. Oh, cool. I want to veer off topic for a, uh, a moment. Um, there's been a couple of big stories uh, in wrestling recently, and I was hoping to get your opinion on them if, if you have one. Uh, the first is Ric Flair uh, this weekend, actually, coming up. He's having his big final match uh, at the age of 73 at the Jim Crockett Promotion Reunions show, the StarCast. I'm wondering what you ha- if you have any thoughts on on. Ric Flair coming out of retirement for one final hurrah. Yes, and I'd rather he didn't. Uh, and I say that with love and respect 
I, I've known Rick since he was a rookie. He came into the Carolinas. Uh, at, he had just barely been in the business a year, and I was one of the first two or three guys to work with him. And besides working with him in the ring, I you know worked with him behind the scenes. We've actually socialized together and partied, and uh, he's my friend, and I love him. Uh, but I don't want to see him. And and the problem for me, guys, is the pacemaker and the fact that he had to be put in in a coma, uh, what, two years ago now, you know, to save his life. And I'm just afraid. Of, I mean, listen, you know, I, I know I've, I've read some of the, well, he said he wanted to die in the ring, you fucking idiots. Excuse my French, but he didn't mean it. <laughs> and I don't want to see that. You know, and I'm not saying, I, I, listen, love him to death. I hope, I hope this is, if this is what he wants, I hope it works. I hope he is happy with it. I think that Jay and, and Jeff can, they should be able to carry him. I just don't want to see him taking a backdrop or a, a slam off the top. I mean, I really don't. Not at 73. I, I mean, I, I just don't. I don't have a pay, I don't have any pacemakers, and I have never been in a coma. Well, I may have been more. You know, I may be in a coma all my life and don't know it. But uh, and what I'm saying is, I'm of course I'm older. I'm almost what seven years older than he is. Um, but still, I don't want to do that stuff, right? And and I'm in the weight room, and and I had, I, I see the videos. You know, him doing this, the Hindu squats, and and that's great. I, I'm glad he's in shape. I just, I'm just afraid something, because you know, listen, the drug that he's on is called professional wrestling. I'm on it too. There is no 12-step program for it. I understand that, but I just, I don't want to see him, you know, see something bad happen. But like I say, if it makes him happy, if the people are entertained, uh, I'm good with that, you know. But I, I, I just, I don't want to, you know, watch and just, I don't. Respect that. Now, uh, the second part of the, well, I said the second part, but the second story uh, we talked about before, and I was hoping to get your opinion on, we're recording this on a Tuesday. This past Friday, this was just a few days ago, uh, Vince McMahon announced his retirement. I, I maybe use that term loosely, I don't know, but he stepped down as CEO. It's been confirmed that he is gone from the corporate side, contracts rewritten. It's it's legitimate. It's not uh it's not a work. Uh, he's he stepped down. He's he's you know leaving the company as it were. Um, I know there's. I mean, we obviously know how wrestling retirements go. We were just talking about Ric Flair, but being an old school territory guy, uh, I'm curious if you feel one if you have any thoughts on him stepping down, but also do you feel that Vince McMahon was good or bad for professional wrestling? Both. I think he was both. Uh, I think he's done some good things. He's he's made the boys a lot more money. I mean, I, I, I get tired of hearing that, like my general, we must, you, you guys, I, I keep thinking I should have had a tin cup, right? We didn't starve to death. We made good money too. But the difference with us, it wasn't guaranteed money. If we drew it, we made it, right? If you didn't draw, then, then we, you worked for a guarantee or whatever. Uh, but no, Vince, you know, he's done some good things, but uh you know, obviously, well, the kayfabe thing, we can argue about it, but uh, I won't even get into that. But, uh, yeah, I don't agree with everything he's done, 
But, you know, when I say that, I love my mother and father unconditionally, and I didn't agree with everything they did either. You know, so, I mean, it says, I, I say that because, guys, in this in this day and age, it's almost like if I don't agree with you, you must hate me, right? Or he hates Vince McMahon. He said he didn't agree with him. No, I, I have never had a crossword with Vince. My, I have the, what relationship I have had with him has been positive, and uh, without stress. Honestly, we first met at an NWA convention uh, in Vegas in '77. Uh, I first worked with him through George Napolitano, who you know who George is, the photographer. Yes. Magazine, okay, uh, one of the best. Uh, talk about a legend in the magazine business. But anyway. Uh, when, uh, they wanted me to do a, a, a magazine for WWWF, which Vince Jr. Uh, was running uh, up in New England at the time. And, uh, George was shooting the pictures for, uh, basically if you've seen my mid Atlantic magazines, it was the same, same layout, same format, same artist, same printer and everything, but I did the work. So that's the first time I was, I was, uh, in 1985, they flew me to Stanford, and I was offered the job of coordinating all the promos for the company and overseeing all that and a possibility of maybe taking over one of the shows uh, as we moved along. Uh, this is when George Scott was the booker, and George and I had a great history in Charlotte doing those same things. And uh, But I, it was a great offer. Money was good, the whole thing. The, the reason I turned it down was... They wanted me to live in Stanford, and my dad had just passed away a year and a half before that. And my mom, when I was living in Knoxville at the time, my mom was just a few hours up I-75 from me, so I was close to her. And so I wanted to stay that way. And they suggested I move her to Stanford, of course. Back then, the hell, we were on the road eight, nine days in a row, you know. So, I, no, I wasn't going to move her to a city where she didn't know a soul and then maybe gone, but it, I don't know if you knew or you didn't know, but back then, when Vince started the first big move, promos were done every night in whatever arena you were in, inside of soundproof tents, in the back of the, in the, back of the Coliseums. And so, you know, but anyway, it was a great offer, and, uh, you know, but I, I turned it down because of, you know, the necessity to live up there. And then, of course, I, you know, uh, worked as a, a trainer for them uh, later on. But Vince and I have never had a, I've never had a, a disagreement, I mean, a personal thing at all. And uh, my relationship with Vince has been, been good. But like I say, no, I don't agree with everything that he's done. Uh, the whole thing with the payoffs, uh, that's, that's sad that he's gone out that way. It is. But, yeah, uh, you know what? I, I don't know that anyone that has done a lot of positive things for the. I don't know anyone that's done everything positive, and there's nothing you can say they didn't. You know, uh, you know. Well, maybe they didn't do this right or they didn't do that. I bet we all make mistakes. I think Vince's obviously on a much bigger stage, right, <laughs> in front of a bigger audience. You know, but you know, it, it's. Uh, it's an end of an era, guys, and uh, he has certainly shaped history over the lot the last forty years, thirty years, whatever. Um, so you you know like, like him or hate him, 
he is without a doubt a, a major contributor to the history of this business. Absolutely. Let's let's go back about 50 years to 1972. Um, so amongst the many slashes that we didn't initially mention was the fact that you actually uh, were the first designer of uh, wrestling T-shirts. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, how that started was, uh, you know, I have I have ideas sometimes. I I I made some changes in television in 1975 here in southeastern wrestling that are commonplace today. And I was told back then you can't do that or shouldn't do that. Right. But, uh, the t-shirt thing, you know, t-shirts got hot back in, in the sixties, right. With, uh, make love, not war and you know, band shirts and all sorts. So to me in the early, you know, the early seventies, I'm thinking, shouldn't wrestling maybe have t-shirts realized back then the only, uh, I mean, there were programs, right? Weekly programs and stuff. But for wrestlers, in terms of merchandise, uh, you basically you could uh, sell glossy black and white eight by ten photographs, right, for a buck a piece. That was pretty much uh, the merch. So anyway, uh, I'm thinking, why don't you know wrestlers do T-shirts? Of course, you know, <coughs> kayfabe was was very much in vogue back in this back then, and so it would have been you know strictly a babyface thing for the most part. But I had mentioned it to a couple promoters, and they didn't say it was a bad idea. It was just they, they weren't interested. So Jack and Jerry Briscoe and I were sitting around uh, one evening. We had a, day, a night off and uh, having a couple beers and just talking in general. It wasn't even necessarily about wrestling. We are just whatever. And uh, I brought up to them you know, the frustration of thinking this was a good idea, but these promoters weren't interested. And Jack spoke up and said, why don't we do it? I said, the three, he said, yes, we'll all pitch in and, uh, let's, let's give it a whirl. So, uh, I opened my big mouth and I put my foot in it. So anyway, uh, the Carolinas talking about t-shirts, my God, there's so many mills around, you know, North Carolina that we, you know, found a place to get decent price on shirts, found a printer there in Charlotte and contacted uh, Jerry Lawler uh, because he was, uh, you know, uh, was a great artist and said, I, I need, the shirt's going to be Briscoe boosters with, with a, like a bust of Jack and Jerry. And he did, he did the pen and ink drawing for the absorbent price of 25 bucks. And I wish I had that, that drawing today. It would be worth wow. a few more bucks than that, I'm sure. But anyway, and so in 1972, we put out the first ever pro wrestling T-shirt. You can get a copy of it, by the way, today uh, at Pro Wrestling Tees. Um, but it was the very first pro wrestling T-shirt on the market ever. And uh, but we weren't merchandisers or entrepreneurs; we were wrestlers, right? So long story short, uh, it 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 worked for us. But we were traveling and and trying to move stuff around. And we weren't in the merchandising as much as we were wrestling at the time, you know, and um, so, you know, uh, we, you know, it could have been, I, I, I tease and, and I've said to Jerry a couple times in recent years, I said, just stop and think if we'd have got some kind of patent or, or trademark or something, my God, if we just had 1% of the net of all the t-shirts sold one, one <laughs> every week in wrestling, 
my God, talk about being millionaires. Who'd need a lottery, right? I mean, my God, that would be great. But anyway, yeah, so that's how it started. And uh, for us, it, it, you know, uh, when the first of all, some of the buildings wanted too big a piece. Uh, so we skipped those buildings. But then we were, uh, I was doing the weekly program in Atlanta as well as a, uh, a weekly, uh, monthly thing in Charlotte. It was before the big magazine in Charlotte, but I was doing both of them. So we got a little advertising there. Jack got a little bit in the, in the uh, uh, Tampa program. And so we, you know, the mail order was okay, but we just never broke it wide open. And, uh, but we, we, we were the pioneers. So yes, we'll, I will take credit for that too. What was Lawler send even send me money guys. Don't or... applaud or stand up. Just send me money, please. <laughs> now Jerry Lawler would have been about 23. Was he in the business yet? Uh, yeah, he, well, he was just getting, getting started. Jerry was uh DJing in Memphis when I first met him. Uh, Ken Lucas and uh, he well he was drawing pictures for Mr. Coffee at the old auditorium in, in in Memphis, and that's how he got into the matches. Right, he was exactly. DJing his way through college. Okay, uh, Ken Lucas and uh, Dennis Holland, uh, I that's they they were already established in the territory, and I'd gone with them to to do a radio spot, and that's how how we met you. But yeah, I remember when Jerry started in the business. Well, I, <laughs> I want to kind of circle back to something that we joked about when you first uh, asked me you, about when you got smartened up. Benny kind of laughed and, and implied that you were smartened up on your way to the ring for your first match. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a there's a joke or a story there I missed. But what is that all about? I don't know. <laughs> no, well, it wasn't, I said it, wasn't on it, the way came... to, it was actually on the way to the matches, though. That's what we yes, on the way to the matches, on, sure. On the way from Boston. Oh, oh yeah. okay. You mean you mean fit on the way in to the, the match, car? Like yes. The yeah. The well, yeah. Uh, the two, especially the two veterans, Bull and and Ronnie. I mean, they filled my head for I don't know how far it is from Boston to Blue Hills, Maine. Probably, I'm going to guess 225, 250 miles, something like that. And uh, so, yes, they filled my head full of everything they could uh, on the way up. And then they critique me on the way. I'll tell you what, that's something the kids are missing today, uh, to be r riding home with a veteran and having screwed up your match. <laughs> There's nothing more fun than getting your ass handed to you verbally. <laughs> and you you can't shut it down because you're in the car with a guy. But I but bet no. you learned a lot that way, though. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. I, well, you know what? It was a tough education. I, I won't lie about it. Uh, and I won't tell you I'm a badass and I was tough either, but I survived it. And I'll be honest with you, uh, many of the young kids that I've worked with in recent years wouldn't have made it through two weeks of it, to be honest. They wouldn't. Sure. You know, the, and listen, and I, as a as a teacher, as a trainer, I've never tried to stretch a kid. I, I don't I don't believe in that. I've yelled. I, I, I have an acid tongue, but but I don't I don't hurt guys. I don't want to be. I, you know I, I don't want to do that. But I think one of the things today is the kids come in. Oh, it's all a show, so I can be an you know. 
and thinking it's, it's so much easier than it really is. And it, it's not, of course, you know, and, uh, you know, I, you see that all the time too. Well, it, you know, it's like WWE has now decided that they want only college athletes or, or something similar to that. Okay. Well, I got news for them. That's fine. But it's still a numbers game. You can get a hundred college athletes, and I'll guarantee you that a hundred of them won't learn the business. It's the wrestling business is something. It's unto itself. I mean, there's nothing like it. And uh, I had a, a really nice young athlete. He was a varsity a soccer player at the University of Kentucky. You know, SEC soccer player, varsity. Uh, he walked away from my place mumbling to himself. He it just, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't catch on. He, he didn't get it. And everybody's not some, some, and here's the crazy thing, guys, you know, talking, well, a college athlete, this, nah. some of the best workers, here I go again with the parentheses, with the quotations, workers, I don't teach clowns, the best workers had no back athletic background at all. Nigel McGinnis, who, for my money, in the last uh, 20 or 25 years, one of the best damn workers to come down to Pike, and, and health is the only thing that cut his career short. Uh, and I'm proud to say he's one of my kids. Uh, he, you know, he hadn't done anything. After, I mean, he wasn't a varsity anything when he came to me, right? He was a college student. But he sure turned in one hell of a worker. Sometimes it's better not to know something, you know, and and get them from scratch. So sure. uh, it's 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 a tough business. It really is. Uh, and if you think it, it's not, then Try it. <laughs> give give me five minutes of your time, right. and I can prove to you that it is. Right. So, but yeah, but I love it. What can I say? It's it's screwy. It's there's times I want to walk away and never look at it again. And there's other times I think, thank God I was part of it. So I, it's, it's a drug. There is no rehab for That's the problem. Les, one of the things I am particularly fascinated with is your entry into competitive bodybuilding. So that's another slash or hat, if you will. <laughs> um, and you started that, uh, very late. So you, you trained, uh, you, you competed in the Masters, NPC Masters. Yeah. What, and you're, so that would have been what in the late '80s, early '90s. You would have been. Uh, well, what, yeah, what? I was. Uh, I was 46 when I did my first show. Yes. So I. What, uh, what position did you do back, that? Well, I had moved back to Ohio uh, again to, to you know to help my mom, and uh, I wasn't in the. I hadn't started training wrestlers at the time. I was doing. Uh, I was doing uh, Jimmy's. Uh, well, I was going to be end up doing cornies, uh, you know, smoky. But anyway, I don't. Uh, I I was I was lifting, and I started working with some bodybuilders and uh, helping them and with their diet and this and that and the other thing. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I should just do one show, just just to see, you know, to say I've done this. And so I started, you know, I, I, my first show and I won my class. I didn't win the overall competition, but I won my weight class, which hooked me, I guess. 
So 13 shows and seven years later, I, I just, I quit. I, wow. I, I, I competed until I was 54. And, and, uh, and that was the golden age of bodybuilding. Cause that's when I started following. You had something in Lee Haney, Ronnie Robinson, Barry DeMay, uh, Rich Gaspari. I mean, all like all the all time greats were training sure. back then. Ron Love, you know who Ron Love? Ron Love, is? yes, out of Detroit, mm-hmm. right? All right, Ron. Stay, yeah, Ron. Well, see, when I was working for John per- Perillo Performance, we worked with Ron, uh, Sharon Bruno, Linda Murray, uh, Lance Dreher. Yeah, Ron. To, uh, for two uh, of the Olympics, uh, Ron stayed two weeks at my home, and I did his diet and, and trained with him to get, help him get ready for the uh, Olympia. For two years, yeah, uh, love. I worked with. I was John's senior trainer uh, at Perillo's uh, in Cincinnati for, shoo, what four or five years. But uh, yeah, that's so. I got to work with a lot of the pros too. Well, that's where I met uh, Pillman. Is uh, a friend of his was a national amateur bodybuilder uh, who I knew, and one day uh, Pillman came. Uh, to per- into Perillo's with uh, his buddy, and that's how I first met him. Everyone, everyone that figured, well, you're both Cincinnati, you must know him, right? No, we we had never met till that time. But uh, yeah, I a body. I'll tell you, that's a you talk about a commitment. You start 16 weeks out on your diet to get ready for a show, and my friend, you talk about a commitment to wrestling. With, with getting ready for a bodybuilding show, it's how you sleep, how you live, how you walk, how you eat. Uh, it's so commanding. It, it truly is. But it's uh, it's rewarding at the end, end of the whole thing. And I'm still in the gym five days a week. I'm, I'm an old gym rat. I can't help myself. That's uh, something else like wrestling, though. I don't think that ever dies either. No, no, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm working my son. He owns two uh, mountain barn builders lots. Those, uh, that, he's a dealer for uh, this company, and they make uh, carports and, and storage units and uh, storage buildings and, uh, you know, playhouses and chicken, anything like that. And I've been working with him, uh, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, I want to. I still can do. Uh, I still do training camps or seminars. I would be happy to. If anyone would be interested, my email is lesthatcher28 at gmail dot com, and I'll be more than happy to send you out that information. But I love. You know, I'm still hooked on the business. I am. Uh, as goofy as it has become, and it has. And uh, but I teach. I teach basics and fundamentals, and those never change. No matter what else, uh, you still got to know the fundamentals and the basics to get by. So, and well, let, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, let me ask you something because um, I guess <clears throat> kind of a guilty. It's been a guilty pleasure of mine for many, many years since I first saw pumping iron as a kid. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. That 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 era, the the late seventies into the eighties. Uh, you know, like you, the kind of the golden era age of bodybuilding. Uh, oh, if, yeah. As, as yeah. someone involved in the sport at the time, uh, how from the inside, what impact did that have? Because that's still one of those, I, I'll say movie, but documentaries I watch at least seems like once a year. Well, whenever, whenever, I, whenever I get unmotivated, I, I have to yeah. watch it, you know? 
Yeah. How about the way Arnold cites out Lou Ferrigno? Huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah. And talk about a psych job. Wow. But yeah, well, you know, uh, Frank, Frank Zane was an archery instructor at Eddie Graham's uh, boys camp. Okay. There's a little wrestling history for you. <laughs> I think he was That's a three-time cool. Mr. Olympia. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah. Jerry Oates and I were uh, we were at the Arnold one year. Well, the year that uh, Vince started uh, WBA, uh, we were at the Arnold and uh, happened to get on the elevator with Zane and uh, confronted him with you know with that. I mean, he wasn't a big name at the time. I was just a local bodybuilder getting his start. Right. And, uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's, uh, but that was, uh, that was a lot of fun for me, uh, working with the pros and, uh, you know, well, Steamboat competed as a, uh, Kevin Sullivan competed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if Savage should have, I don't know if he ever did or not. Well, then, then let me ask you, since we're in the on the discussion, um, which by the way I think it's it's you mentioned Frank Zane. I I, I love the fact. Uh, I mean, maybe not for him, but uh, his streak of Mister Olympia wins ended when Arnold Schwarzenegger came back out of retirement, which was a huge story at the time. Yeah, Zane, Zane was more about shape and flow, right? And mm-hmm. Arnold was more about power, big. That was the difference, which I think. But yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's as somebody's been following it pretty much my entire life. It is kind of sad to look at you know Zane and and Schwarzenegger and Franco Colombo and those guys back then. They wouldn't. They wouldn't even be within a mile of the stage of what bodybuilding became with your Jay Cutlers and you know where where you have these right literal. Right. I, I hate to use the word, but like freaks of human beings i mean big Ramy winning last year where it's like it's it's uh, it's un almost uh almost mind-boggling how big the human body can get now yeah i'm, I'm sure i'm sure the uh uh tra- training prayers and vitamins are are better than they were back then though <laughs> you know i say i never i never tipped the bottle i i've at, at my you know i i was guys would say you know, if you'd use a little something, you probably would have won that one, or you probably would have placed higher. And and I said, we're competing for a fifty dollar trophy. Why am I going to spend a thousand dollars on drugs and take a shot at ruining my health for a trophy? Uh, you know. Now, right. to be honest with you, uh, you know, a lot of guys around me did it. I just didn't see the value. I wasn't going to be that big, you know. Uh, and I just. You know, now if somebody had waved a, a million dollar contract or something in my face, maybe I don't know. You know, but nobody ever waved that in my face, so I can't say. But uh, that was it. You know, it was. A, but if those things are used properly, you know. Uh, well, I mentioned Ron Love, and I'll tell you the truth. Ron told me one time, we've talked. Uh, you know, he said he, he want he want his pro card clean. I mean, if you saw his genetics, he and Linda Murray dated at one time. Can you imagine if they had had children? Mm. The Jeez. genetics. I mean, <laughs> Wonder Woman and Superman, for Christ's sake, right? But right. Uh, anyway, Ron got his pro card clean, and he did his first contest. 
that way. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, that first show, he said, I looked up and down that lineup and thought, if I'm going to compete here, then I got to do what they do. You know, there's just, I can't get around it now, but he was not an abuser. I can tell you that for sure. He, you know, I, uh, I, I've been around it. I just, you know, I, a guy, I don't know where to get it. I don't want to know where to get it. Uh, and when I had my, my comp my wrestling company, you know, I told, told guys are, you know, look, uh, if you, if I see a syringe in your bag, uh, it better be there. Better be a prescription to go along with it. Otherwise, you and the bag are out. I, I don't need the federal government to help run my business. You know, I mean, if you're an, over 21, that's your call. If that's what you want to do, I'm I'm not here to tell you one way or the other. It's your you know you're an adult, but uh, don't don't you know that's that's the way I I mean uh, you know I, I I know I've been to some dressing rooms and some of the uh, indie shows where they got beer in the dressing room. Uh-uh. My stance is you come into my dressing room. If I smell alcohol or weed on you, don't bother to unpack your bag. I will share both with you after the show, but never, it's not professional to do it beforehand. I'm sorry. Sure. That's just my stance. I can understand that. But before I, I bounce it back to uh, Benny, I, I'm curious since since we're still kind of half on the topic, you were involved a bit in the business at the time. What were your thoughts on Vince McMahon's attempt to get into bodybuilding the, with the, the World Bodybuilding Federation with trying to mixing bodybuilding you know with, I, with the, I, the... He just went about it wrong. He could have done... You know what? I Well, that I mentioned that Schwarzenegger classic... Uh, Vince was there with, uh, and Tom Platts, he had hired Tom Platts uh, as a consultant, I guess. And I, I had worked out with Tom some in Cincinnati. Tom's second wife was from Cincy and she, and, and she worked out, Bobby worked out at, at our goals gym that I, uh, I was general managers for it. We had a 20,000 square foot world gym. And uh, anyway, I, so, so I knew Tom and I saw him with Vince and I stopped to say hello to Vince and uh, I said uh, to Vince, I remember why I said, hey, you're going to teach these guys how to promote. Well, we're going to try. But here's what happened. Basically, here's the thing. He only allowed the bodybuilders under contract to him to be in his magazines. And if you don't know about his magazines, then you don't know where his bodybuilders are, right? He should have allowed all the magazines, you know. He, I mean, Weider wasn't going to use them because they were, you know, unsigned. But right. Kennedy, a muscle mag out of Canada, you know, and, and those magazines would have used those guys, but they weren't allowed to be in any magazine but Vince's magazine. A. B. He tried to turn competitive pro bodybuilding into a circus like uh, Tony Pearson with the great lats. You remember him? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. He, uh, Vince was. They, I, Perillo, I mentioned John. John had bought ads in Vince's first magazine. So when they did the show at Trump Plaza uh, on the uh, Jersey Shore, uh, John came to me and said, well, you're in both businesses. He said, you're in the bodybuilding business and the wrestling business, and, and Savage is supposed to be there. I forget, uh, Randy was there to do some autographs and stuff. 
But uh, anyway, uh, he said, you go and represent us because he, you know, we, uh, so I did. And the minute I saw what he was putting on stage with dancing girls and shit, I said, this, and, and the thing about Tony Pearson being an airplane or some damn thing, kids don't watch pro bodybuilding. I mean, <clears throat> young children, so you can't sell toys and, and it's about, well, you know, you watch bodybuilding shows, right? So you know what I'm talking about. And he tried to sell him on some of the goofy stuff that he was selling at wrestling at that time. It wasn't going to fly. So, and then, of course, the drug, you know, the drug trial, that killed, hell, some of those guys, uh, when they had to clean out, uh, a couple guys were, were on growth, and they still looked like a million dollars. But I was, uh, the second show that they did when most of them had to try to compete clean, and I was uh, doing, still doing competitive bodybuilding at the time, and I was a few weeks out from a show, but I, I remember going to our, my chiropractor's home to watch uh, the w, you know, Vince's show, and I thought, damn, I'm in better shape than some of these pros tonight because, you know, they had gone soft, right? They uh, you know, your body doesn't, re your, your own testosterone doesn't respond. So a lot of them weren't, weren't in great shape at all. But anyway, I've, I've got off track. Just shut me down when you're ready to shut me down. I'm, no, actually, I, I, I want to ask one more question along I, those lines. Um, because my, my, um, you know, my understanding or my thought as to why it failed WBF was, you know, Weeder had, he had his, uh, Mr. Olympia, which would be the equivalent, say, of a WrestleMania. Uh, but he also had his Arnold Classic. He had his Night of Champions. He had his, I think there was a Niagara Falls Invitational. And there was, you know, a couple other Invitationals, as well sure. as, I think, right after the Olympia, they did a, a bunch of Grand Prix championships, I believe, in Europe. Yeah, well, they went, they always took a bunch of guys right after the Olympia overseas, too. Right, and, and, you know, Vince put all his eggs in one basket. He had that one tournament, and that was yeah. it. I mean, should he well, have... Well, like I say, though, his, his, as far as the bodybuilding community, having been a part of both communities, I saw his magazine, and I knew the guy, you know. But if you're just a muscle head, let's say, uh, and you're reading Weeders magazines, those guys have disappeared, haven't they? Yep. And if you're not watching Vince's wrestling shows, you're no, you don't know where they're at. So you really got nothing going for you. Right. Right? Yep. So, and like I say, not, not allowing them to, you know, let magazines get a hold of him. I mean, if you stop and think about it, how do you know about the Olympia? Weeders magazines, right? Yeah, that's a fair point. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and Vince, the 13 guys that he had signed were only allowed to be in his magazine. And which, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there, uh, when, when the WBF folded and they went back to the, you know, the IBBF and all that, didn't they have to pay a fine or something? There was some kind of penalty because they... I've, I've heard that. I don't know for sure. I, I don't know for sure. I know I heard this story from a couple of the pros that weren't on Vince, you know, that didn't go with Vince, but uh, Troy Zuccolata, when he cleaned out, 
he uh, his doctor told him once his body was producing the amount of natural testosterone of a 12-year-old child. Mm. That's how he had shut himself down, you know, with the anabolics. Right. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and, and like I say, if they're used properly, I'm, you know, I mean, you can still, what guys don't understand, I think, is they make muscles bigger, but if you've got a tumor, it may get bigger too. Yeah. That's fair. You, those drugs aren't aren't discriminant, right? <laughs> right. I don't think so any of those guys that uh, that out of the thirteen that Vince took back, I don't think like even Gary Stridham, who won, I guess the only two WBF events. I don't think he. Well, ever he was a he was on growth. Right. That's the reason he didn't he te- didn't test because he wasn't using anabolics. He was using human growth hormone. But but none of the guys who came back really. I don't think they really accomplished anything. Even once they came back, was it no. maybe that you know that the maybe the the lifestyle that they they led under Vince wasn't as as disciplined as they would have under under the Weeder system. Yeah, I I, I think uh, probably Vince. Well, and they were probably looking at they saw wrestling, right? Saw all the glory on TV, and they weren't getting that from uh, Weeder, right? Yeah. It was a bigger bubble to be in if they could make it with Vince. And, you know, and the crazy thing, like I said, Tom Platts was at the Arnold with him. And uh, I'm surprised that the things that I'm telling you that Tom hadn't said to him. Hmm. You know, I, I, again, because Tom is a really intelligent guy. He's really a sharp guy. Um, but anyway. Well. As we wrap up here, I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, Benny is definitely going to coordinate to have uh, try and get you back on because, I mean, there's so much oh, more Wait till I send you guys the bill and you'll know, right? <laughs> Benny, that's I'm coming joking, out of your guys, Christmas My bonus. sense of humor, guys, laugh. That, that's, well, that's why, you know, I, I, got, I got my winning ticket, so I'll be able to afford to pay you then. There you go. <laughs> well, okay. And believe me, if I hear you got the winning ticket – I won't come cheap, man. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Minimum 5%. Okay. Fair enough. But I wanted to end on a, a, a wrestling question and one that I'm, I'm really curious about because we've, we've had we've, uh, guests on that have talked about this specifically. Um, your transition was seamless from wrestling to announcing. I mean, you worked with Gordon Soley and some of the best, some of the the great announcers. Uh, I can't, I imagine calling the bumps probably a lot easier as far as tasking on the body um, than taking them. Uh, but I was curious if you could just, what your thoughts were on, on how, how you transitioned to announcing as kind of a, a finale question of what was that like going from the ring to the announce booth? Well, you know, I, I actually, uh, I mentioned drag racing, right? And I, I belong to a car club. You'll love this. The name of our car club was Satan's Angels. <laughs> but anyway, we belonged to the Southern Ohio Timing Association, and the, which was a group of car clubs. And we built Beachmont Dragway in Cincinnati. And so anyway, we, we obviously ran it as well, right? Uh, we had to, I, but I, I mean, I raced, but I was the tower announcer. And so I got a little try 
try try being as fast as you can, calling these two cars going down that drag, at, at you know, it, and you've got 20 seconds or 15 seconds or sometimes eight seconds to tell a whole story. And so, but I, I, I had this suppressed desire for you to be a D- DJ like Dr. Johnny Fever or Wolfman Jack or, or somebody like that. Right. I mean, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So anyway, um, I never thought about being a wrestling commentator until I met Gordon. And uh, one of the things that it, that hooked us up as friends wasn't just wrestling, but he was part owner in Golden Gate Speedway, and I was a drag racer freak, right? So we hooked up on race cars as well. But, um, yeah, uh, when I heard Gordon, I thought, yes, that's what a wrestling commentator should be like. Because back when I – they were – it was used the local, uh, some local guy, and he didn't know anything about wrestling, and he was putting himself over more, and he was putting wrestling over, and that you guys have heard the same thing, mm-hmm. you've heard some people like that. So anyway, Gordon was he's calling this like it's a shoot, yes, and so anyway, uh, I mentioned I work for Rudy K in the Maritimes in 1970. Well, Rudy was my next door neighbor in Charlotte in '67 and '68, and. Uh, we, we rode the towns a lot together, and, you know, you talk about everything. And I had mentioned what I've just mentioned to you, and I said, you know, I might might not, I might like to try doing wrestling, you know, broadcasting maybe uh, at, at some point. So anyway, so I go to, to Eastern Canada to wrestle, and uh, my phone rings. I've been there now about uh, five, six weeks. And uh, it's Rudy, and we're living in Moncton, at the Moncton, New Brunswick. And so anyway, he just starts talking, and then he finally gets around to say, you remember when we were on the road in the Carolinas, and you mentioned about uh, being a wrestling commentator and this and that? And I said, yeah, I remember. Said, well, when we go to Moncton, or when we uh, go to Halifax tomorrow, uh, bring a suit and tie, because you're going to be an announcer. Now, Rudy and his brothers were noted as great rivers. So I'm thinking, okay, jackass, you're, you're setting me up, right? You're, I'm going to show up at TV Wednesday morning in Halifax in a suit and tie, and surprise, we got you, right? But finally he convinced me he was serious. Uh, his announcer was originally from Toronto and had had a death in the family, and he had to go back to Toronto to help uh, with the funeral arrangements and all that. And I guess to close the estate. So anyway, he said, I need to use you for a couple of weeks. Now, I'd been interviewed, but I had never opened a show and realized back then there weren't broadcast teams. There was you and you and only you, right? So you had to cue in and out of the segments and the whole thing. I'd never done that. And so anyway, we got through it and uh, a couple of weeks. And then finally he said, look, you're doing a good job for me, and so how about uh, I'm going to let him stay in Toronto and finish out the season. I'll, you know, I guarantee that I promised you as a wrestler. Uh, plus, I'll pay you extra, you know, to do the TV. So that's how it it all started. Now, when I came, he wanted me to come back the next season because they ran up there from April to mid October and then closed down for the severe winter. And he wanted me to come back the next season and work in the office with the help of the programs, 
uh, and help uh, produce the show and host the show and be an, and, and not wrestle. And of course at that time, I don't even wrestling 10 years. So I'm still, you know, I, I want to wrestle Rudy, but I appreciate the offer. So anyway, off I go and back to the States and Nashville for a while. And then I'm in Tampa. And then, uh, Danny Miller and I went into the Carolinas. They were looking around for a number two babyface team behind Becker and Weaver. And so we came, uh, they called, called Tampa and, uh, Tampa office had recommended us. So there we were. So anyway, one day I'm in the office in Charlotte and Lord Littlebrook, who had been in the, up in the Maritimes when I was there, was, it came in and, and he and I are in talking to Mr. Crockett, this Jim Sr. And uh, Brooks says to Mr. Crockett, why don't you have less on your TV? And Mr. Crockett looked at him and said, what do you mean? He's on our TV. No, no, Mr. Crockett. I mean, as an announcer, he said he did Rudy's TV last season and just did a great job. And Mr. Crockett looked at me and said, you didn't tell me. And I said, you never asked. I never <laughs> thought it was important. So he started to ease me in to do some stuff there. And then, so, and then the rest was, I guess, history, right? But you're right. I, to me, I've worked with the Mount Rushmore of wrestling and uh, commentators, Soli, J.R., Cottle, and Lance Russell. That really is the so, Mount Rushmore, truly. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's a million people to tell you. And I've been lucky to have some great color guys, uh, Dutch Dutch Mantel. Luthez was my color guy when I was doing Savoldi's TV up in New England. Um, you know, but yeah, it's uh, guys I've had just a, uh, like I say, it's how do you not be good when you work with the best? I, I don't know. You, you know, you, you have to be pretty damn stupid not, not to pick up. So I've had people say, well, what was it like to work with Soli or to work with, uh, JR, some, I, you know, like there had to be some hard transition. And I said there never was. But I think because we were both professionals, or all the, the four guys I mentioned, uh, we were all professionals. And, you know, so we, we just blended. A funny, a quick, funny story. Um, have you seen The Night of Legends from Smoky Mountain? I haven't. You did? Well, you should. Yeah, the the old the old, I was gonna say that's one of the uh, early video collections that Cornette started selling when he opened his yeah. own store. Yes. Well, anyway, that was the first show that that uh, Jr. and I had ever done together, and uh, so uh, at the intermission, we're in the back get a drink, and Terry Funk uh, is walking by, and he stops and he said, "Man, I was I've been watching the sh- you know the show on on the monitor." And well, you and Jr. that's the way wrestling should be called. He said, how long have you guys worked together? I looked at my watch. I said, mm, about two hours. All <laughs> bullshit. He said, I said, no, that's Terry. I'm, I'm not lying to you. That's and, and that, but you know, it was, it was seamless. I, one of the nicest compliments I've ever got was somebody had asked Jr. on one of his Q and a things, uh, you know, what it was like to work, uh, have less, less statues of color, man. And Jr. said, I never con- looked at him as a colored man. I considered him as an analyst. And I said, thank you. Because that's what I honestly tried to be. When I started doing it, I said, okay, I'm a wrestler doing commentary. So a hammerlock shouldn't have me making multiple orgasms, should it? I mean, a hammerlock, it's like, 
you know, some all-star quarterback getting excited about a little five-hour flare-out pass, right? Or five-yard flare-out pass. So I tried, you know, I tried to be that way. And so to me, that was, that was, a, that was a great comp. But yeah, it, it's, I've been blessed to work with some of the best in the ring, uh, behind the mic and management. I mentioned bookers, my God, Leo Garibaldi, one of the masters of, of, of booking Eddie Graham, George Scott, Lord. Uh, I can say if I hadn't done something right, then I have to be the biggest idiot ever in the wrestling business. So, well, again, I, I, I mean, it's crazy to think how many Mount Rushmores you've crossed paths with, but again, Les, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, this has been a, a just awesome conversation. I love the stories and there's still so much more to talk about. Uh, so well, I mean, let's Benny, do it again sometime when you, ab- you know, save up your money, assuming, <laughs> assuming that Benny doesn't quit immediately after winning the Mega Millions tonight. Right, uh, exactly. You know, maybe Benny, we can, Benny's uh, going to buy his own promotion. <laughs> the BWA, right? Right. Yeah. Benny Wrestling. And, and hire 9,000... Re- oh, no, Tony Khan's already done that. <laughs> well, I, I, I imagine, based on his humor, there will be some uh, women of the night involved in Benny's first expenses. All right. Well, you know what? That's what the girls are starting to look like more now anyway in the ring. And believe me, I'm not so old that I can't appreciate a hot-looking young lady. I I truly can. But I'd like my athletic women to look a little more like athletes and not a little less like hookers. Yeah. That would be cool, cool too. And actually, if some of them learn... Go ahead. More of them learn how to work. That would be good. That's... Yeah, and and maybe maybe one or two of them. Uh, I mean, we've got a few out there, but but the ones that look like athletes, I can appreciate. I've I can't yeah. quite I, I can't quite wrap my my wrestling fan mind around a eighty five pound woman throwing a punch that knocks somebody out. That's you know just <laughs> it, it just you know how I don't want to say I hate to use the word the f word in wrestling, but it looks unrealistic. Yes, it does. Well, there's uh, uh, you've been uh, if you're watching any of the wrestling shows, you're seeing a lot of things that look unrealistic, aren't you? Yeah, we all are. Let's don't even go there. That's another hour. Some <laughs> no, other I was going to say that we, we <laughs> could do a whole other show on that. But again, Les, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been phenomenal, and we'll definitely have to do this again because there's so much more to talk about, and it's so seamless. And I'm I'm grateful that. Every uh, life's been as good to you as you are. I mean, you're you're just a few years older than me and probably in better shape. So that that's commendable. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, I would like to plug um, my podcast, Wrestling Absolutely. Weekly. Absolutely, I was I was just about to ask if you had any anything you wanted yeah, to Vic, pitch. Vic we Sosa and I, uh, we have been doing this podcast together. Well, it's been on the Observer site, but they're putting all our stuff out. We're now on Apple and Spotify, and I guess all the other places that you put podcasts it's wrestling weekly big Sosa and myself and we usually record on Fridays and Vic puts it up or usually around Friday at sometime Friday Friday afternoon uh, so yeah check us out and uh, 
Yeah, it's buy a Briscoe Booster T-shirt. <laughs> Don't forget the Pillman uh, Memorial shows. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and start like it's uh, the shopping network. No, I actually, I just found, I just found it and, and uh, subscribed. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, and yeah, sir. When, when we put this episode up, I'll make sure to to post a link for it. Get trying to get you more traffic. Absolutely appreciate it. All right, guys, I'm out of here. I've got I've got yes, to sir. go check the the recording on NXT. It's Tuesday night, boys. All right. There you go. Well, you have yourself All a great right. night, and we'll definitely have to have you back on. Thanks for having me, guys. I've enjoyed it. God bless you. I hope it didn't bore you to right. death. Take no, care now. Bye bye. Take care, Alice. Holy crap! What? Uh, I mean, I, I I'm almost at a loss for words at just how awesome of an experience that was because here's one of the greatest not just just talents but i mean greatest minds and greatest just uh, everywhere you look when people talk about who's influenced them anybody that's a legit style of the last 40 plus years has said oh i i watched the less thatcher matches or i worked in the schools and um i mean even I, we didn't get a chance to get to it maybe we'll ask him next time nxt had uh, a catch wrestler name with named Thatcher for a while that I can only imagine was inspired. Um, I mean, he has done so much. Oh yeah. You, we you, we you didn't even it. get to the fact that uh, we got, we can bring it up next time. He was the NWA uh, rookie of the year in 1967. Yeah. And the runner was some guy named Terry Funk. What? Just shows how highly regarded he was. I was about to say Terry Funk, whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, he did a little bit. I think very often imitated anyway. Right. <laughs> but I mean, absolutely incredible. And, and still, uh, I guess he mentioned the, the, I didn't even, I'd, it's been so long since I'd seen it. I'd forgotten about the Smoky Mountain. It was one of the first things I ever bought from the, the Jim Cornette store was some of the old Smoky Mountain tapes that it, well, CDs that he sold. And it's crazy that here you're, you know, 30 plus years ago, 40 years ago, he's talking about, I did this and I did that. And, you know, he's still healthy and sharp as attack. I mean, we've had, and unfortunately wrestling, you see people half his age that are already physically and mentally broken. Right. So it's just such a testament to clearly the regiment was working and he did a good job taking care of himself. You know, he actually got ripped off twice because I guess the, the Freebirds stole the, uh, the cousin rule. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he was a dual uh, professional wrestler and a race car driver. And then uh, some guy named Sparky Plug showed up and stole, <laughs> stole that gimmick. Right. I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I mean, you always suspect it, you know, but hearing him, hearing him tell the story that the cousins weren't really cousins, that always, you know, every once in a while, somebody on the show tells us that, that a famous story or fact from wrestling is, isn't true. So there's the proverbial wailing and gnashing of teeth. In yeah, podcast they, land. they got they got me again, you know, but uh, what a great story. And Benny, we're definitely going to have to have him back on oh, part absolutely. part two, yes. three, four. I we could talk to him forever. I'll tell you what. Just a great guest. So and we're like I said, we're recording this. This is Tuesday. A uh, lot of good stuff coming up uh, for wrestling fans. You've got um, obviously we mentioned the Ric Flair retirement event. Um, that should be something to look at the. Uh, the 30th, July 30th, is going to see uh, SummerSlam. That'll be the first big event WWE has had since Vince McMahon left. 
So, you know, you've got a lot of of good stuff to catch up on. He just mentioned NXT. That's going to be under new management. Uh, AEW is still in full swing. Uh, NWA still doing great stuff over on Fight TV. So check it out. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good um, good wrestling. And a lot of it wouldn't be here or wouldn't be uh, around today if not for people like Les Thatcher. So it was an honor to talk to him. Definitely. So for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spashiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. <laughs>